Hey, you found us. It's the Ben and Matt Sportscast. I'm Ben Glicksman alongside my tag team partner, Matt Story. That grinding sound in the background is Archie chewing on a bone, but it's better than the alternative of things that I've been dealing with with him. So we're going to leave it and we're just going to let it roll. (laughs) Matt, we got a lot of stuff to talk about uh, with the ASU preview. But before that, there's been a lot of sports news and we're going to get to the two things that matter most to us, which is the big blockbuster NBA trade and the former ASU quarterback whose career is on the ropes. So let's start with the Celtics and Cavaliers trade. Kyrie Irving going to the Celtics, one of the teams that was not on his four-team approved list in exchange Mm -hmm. for Isaiah Thomas, Jay Crowder, Zizic, and the Brooklyn Nets pick. What was your immediate reaction, and now that you've had time to think about it, has it changed? Well, immediate reaction was just surprise. You know, I mean, I... You heard a lot of different rumors about where he might end up, and certainly I did not hear Boston ever mentioned. Um, uh, what I what I thought initially and still think is I think Cleveland did fairly well for themselves. Um, you know, it, it, it seemed like they were boxed into a corner. They had to trade him. Um, you know, when the, the thought just first came out about trading him before the whole trade demand, I told you that I wouldn't do it. Um, based on the player he was. But then hearing, you know, he wanted out, hearing he had been disruptive and, you know, went weeks without talking to teammates. And, you know, they they probably needed to move on. And they got an all-star point guard, a a pretty darn good role player, potential maybe number one overall, probably top three or five pick uh, for next year, which could be a piece to, you know, build around in the post-LeBron years that are likely to come after this season. I am with you. I think that this is a big win for the Cavs overall, and it's mostly because LeBron has not done anything to quiet the rumors about him leaving um, and going to L.A. or wherever after this season, but probably L.A. And having that number one pick gives them options this year. If things are going well and Thomas and LeBron are working together. That is a chance to get another weapon without having to unload Kevin Love or Tristan Thompson. Or it sets you up, like you said, for in a post-LeBron world, if you you expect that he's going to leave, you've got an asset that you can turn into a top pick or deal for a proven player. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I I think it's – no, I will tell you, you know, you mentioned LeBron hasn't done anything to quiet it. I don't think he should. Um, you know, I, LeBron signed a two-year contract last year. He has one more year left on his deal, and there's no reason in the world he should have to come and say, "I'm staying there." Um, I mean, if he wanted to, he could, but I don't see he doesn't have a responsibility to. You know, his responsibility is to LeBron James. We make all the jokes about he's the owner of the Cavs and the GM of the Cavs. He's not. His responsibility is not the Cavaliers. You know, so I, I don't think he should do that. Don't feel any reason he has to. Um, you know, how many of us know exactly where we want to be in a year? Uh, and, and especially if we had attractive offers to go elsewhere uh, in a year, would any of us say, yep, I'm staying where I am? No, we, we keep our options open and we'd evaluate in a year. So I don't blame him for that at all. So let's talk about the deal from the Celtics perspective. You have assets upon assets upon assets, and you keep mm-hmm. shuffling the deck and waiting and biding your time. And this is the move you make. I like the move Kyrie for Thomas I know that Boston faithful including Bill Simmons are you know talking about how this just proves how it's just a business and no one had a higher approval rating in Boston sports than Isaiah Thomas did 
after last season. But he's coming up on his age 30 season. He's got hip mm. problems. He, you know, the injury that he has chosen to rehab without surgery is one that's ended careers before. So, yeah, yeah. Getting someone younger, said, you know. Yeah, younger, uh, bigger. You know, I mean, that that does, you know, we heard that a lot, you know, in this playoff run. Can you win when your best player is, you know, five foot ten? Uh, I don't know. I mean, did, did we prove that one way or the other? I don't think so. Uh, they won a lot. They got to the conference finals, but they didn't win a conference title or an NBA title. Um, you know, Irving is more the prototypical point guard, 6'3", six, 6'4". Six, uh, you know, not uh, defensively, they're a wash. Um, Irving's not a good defender either. But I think he gives you more, more feeling of potential growth. He's 25. Thomas is going into age 30. So you feel like, well, Irving's this good now. And boy, you know, if he continues to develop and get better for the next two to three years, as he could. I mean, that's what guys do in their late 20s. They generally do get better. Um, you know, you, you think that's high end. You know, the big question is, can he be the best player on a championship team? There's only a few guys who when they can. We don't know yet about him. Does you know, he the need to be, he was, though? He's got Hayward. I mean, he'll he's be, got Hayward. He'll be the face I'm of this team. I'm not as high team. on Gordon Hayward as, as some people are. I think Gordon Hayward's a nice player, but I don't think Gordon Hayward's a great player. Um, you know, does he have to be, you know, Michael Jordan? Not necessarily, no. Um, but they are looking – they're going to look to him to be the guy. That's what he wanted, and that's what they're going to want from him. And there's a different pressure that comes with that, and I'm curious to see if he's up to it. I mean, he'll definitely be the face of the team, unless it, they just jump all the way to Jalen Brown. And, yeah, And yeah. they've got him for two more years, and I, I think you still have to, when, when all of the shuffling of the deck chairs happens, you, you still have to make the assumption that the team with LeBron is in a better spot to win the East. Yep. But yeah. if LeBron moves west after this season, it keeps the Celtics high up and relevant enough that they can be among the front runners, if not the favorite, to win the East in the post-LeBron it does. world. It does. I agree. And, and you know, um, they did give up the, the Nets pick, but, you know, they've used high draft picks the last couple of years on Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. They got the number one pick this past year and moved down to three, but... You know, they, they use those, so you got to hope those guys become stars like they're supposed to be based on where they were picked. And and you still have the Lakers pick, I believe, in 2019. So you've got uh, – you still got young assets as well. I mean, if you didn't go completely all in for Kyrie Irving, giving up that Nets pick, we'll see. You know, this draft next year is supposed to be loaded from what we hear. Mm-hmm. Um, we've heard that before, and it doesn't always turn out that way. But this – you know, right now people think it's a top – you know, very good at the top draft. Um, and, you know, if they miss out on a guy there, we might, they might come to regret that, but yeah, I don't, I don't mind the move for them. Uh, I, I think it's a trade that I think Cleveland got a good return when they were boxed into a corner. And I think Boston was aggressive in trying to get a superstar and, you know, time will tell if he really is a superstar. I, the thing that I like most about it, because I think, like you said, defensively, it's a wash. And if Thomas is, not at the level he was last year, but still a very productive point guard moving forward. Yeah, I think that's a great sign for Cleveland, and Jay Crowder's going to help fix their endgame defense because you can have him and LeBron yeah. on forwards and Thompson yeah. on a center, and then, you know, 
hide Thomas on whichever guard. Right, right. I mean, it, you know, look, it, does it close the does it completely close the gap on Golden State? No, and there probably isn't a move they could make to that. Um, but it gives them a little bit more flexibility. Um, they took deeper, you know, and of course everybody thinks Dwayne Wade might end up there when he gets bought out from Chicago, so that could add. But, but I mean, you know, I, I was listening this morning and the thought that, you know, if Wade ends up there, you've got a lineup of, you know, Thomas, Wade, LeBron, Love, Thompson off the bench. You've got Derrick Rose, who, you know, was good last year. Um, Kyle Corver, Jay Crowder, uh, Channing Fry. I mean, you got you got a group there that you know is is interesting. Um, are they are they as good as Golden State? If Golden State is full strength, probably not. But that's the big. You know, we know we don't know for sure Golden State's going to be full strength, and so they're gearing up to be one of the teams that's ready to move in if Golden State slips at all. I think that's the right way to look at it. We're going to pivot now. We're going to talk. We're going to drift towards ASU football by talking about Brock Osweiler, who has been beaten out for the starting job on Pat Richardson's Cleveland Browns. Pat, congratulations well, we to you, yeah. by the way. Yeah. Uh, Pat finished his uh, board exams today, which was the thing I couldn't remember what it was, but I told him good luck. He finished today, so congrats on being done. All right. There um, you go. But let's talk about Brock Osweiler and the uh, the career that was. He, you know, he minded the store for Peyton Manning on the yeah. Super Bowl winning Broncos team and parlayed that into a eight figure robbery of the Texans, and then earned Cleveland some draft picks in exchange for taking on his contract. And <laughs> they might package those draft picks with him to send him somewhere else now. Yeah, yeah, I you know, I don't know for sure, but it certainly appears that, you know, as I said to you today in text, we might be near in the end. I mean, if he can't make this roster, uh, then what roster can he make? I mean, you know, and I, I don't mean that to be insulting to the Browns quarterbacks. They've got some, you know, I think Kaiser's a good young QB. and But, you know, you've got three quarterbacks there with him who none of them are past their second year. Um you know, if you can't make this as just the, you know, if nothing else, a veteran presence, and where can you go? And I'm not sure there's an answer to that. Um, you know, it is kind of amazing. It's a very bizarre career um, because, as you said, he he minded the store and he did it well. Uh, they don't they don't win the Super Bowl. I'm convinced without his play in the regular season, they don't win the Super Bowl from anywhere but the number one seed in the AFC. And he helped get, get that, but you know, with a couple big wins over New England, over Cincinnati, late in that season. All that said, I don't think they win the Super Bowl with him as the starter either in the playoffs. Uh, and I think that's they made that move, and and it's just been all downhill from there. Yeah, it, it's one of those things where you wonder what the real Brock Osweiler is. Could he, if things had broken differently, could he have had a Jay Cutler type? run with a team where he's okay he's yeah. not the worst thing yeah. in the world um i don't think that he was ever going to get to the elite of the elite and i think now his career will be remembered like another giant quarterback rob johnson as a big guy probably big arm and never really put it together could never hold down a job might no. kick around a few places at the end of his career as a backup yeah yeah you're probably right i mean and, and unfortunately and i you know, I, I didn't want to be right about this, but I think about, 
18 months ago or so, I, you know, when he signed with Houston and I said, I, I fear he's going to become the new name that we too. And, you know, you talk about backup quarterbacks getting overpaid. And I think he has, um, you know, he's kind of unseated Matt Flynn and Kevin Cobb and, you know, those, those type of guys that we heard about because um, he made a lot more money than they did. Uh, and, and I think that he just wasn't up to it. You know, I, I mean, the, the success he had with Denver was great and it got him a Super Bowl ring, but it also um, put the bullseye on him. And I just don't think he was up to the billing. I think that's a fair assessment. You know, and, and when you sign a contract that big, the expectation is you are going to be yeah. a big time quarterback. And he just wasn't. That's exactly it. Yep. Yep. I mean, we we've talked over the years, um, different sport, different position, but Ike Diagu. And I, you know, I felt like Ike Diago was overdrafted. He got picked, you know, top 10 and made him some money, but it also made the expectation such that, well, now you've got to be a really good player. And really where Ike Diago belonged was going in the late first, early second round and being a role player. And, and he was just miscast and he never quite got past that. I don't believe injuries played a factor too, but you know, he was, he was overdrafted and then Brock Osweiler was overpaid. Yeah. Yeah. Well, on that cheery ASU trip down memory lane, let's talk about <laughs> the even more exciting prospects of ASU football 2017. We're going to go game by game. We're going to make our picks. And I, I have to be honest, I was going through the schedule, and I'm still torn because my heart says 8-4, and four, and my head says maybe a bowl game. So, Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think there's a fair amount of games that feel like toss-ups. Um, there aren't many maybe only one, maybe two or three, that I feel real confident saying we'll win. And there's uh, three or four that I feel confident saying we aren't going to win. And then it comes down to those handful of others that will you know, swing the season in one direction or the other. So let's start on the opener, home opener, Thursday night. I'll be in attendance. You'll be in attendance, though we don't, yep. ha- we don't have tickets right now, but that will change. That's uh, coming, yes. <laughs> But they play New Mexico State in Sun Devil Stadium with the new scoreboard up and running. Matt, yep. will we beat New Mexico State? I certainly hope so because when I said um, there's maybe only one, maybe more than one, well, this is the one. Um, you know, New Mexico State is uh, uh, picked to finish last in their conference. Um, should be a nice, soft intro to, you know, this season. Uh, should be kind of a kind of a preseason game feel to it really that you know you can kind of figure some things out about yourself um make your mistakes and and really probably more than anything else um red flag your biggest weaknesses because if it looks like a weakness against new mexico state it's likely to look like a weakness even more so their next 11 games i think that will beat new mexico state from the stuff i've read it seems like their strength offensively is the running game and anytime that is the strength of the offense that's going to help our defense out um, yeah, this is not a game where I think we'll get an official assessment on Joey Bryant or Kobe or Lucas or anybody in the secondary. Um, but if they get burned, that'll be bad. If they look good, that'll be still an open question. Yeah, that's exactly it. I mean, you and I have, have talked about season openers many years and, and a lot of times against NAU or UC Davis or Cal Poly or whoever it's been and and a lot of times it is, you know, you can't take too much great out of it because you have to kind of water it a little bit like preseason. You have to kind of say, well, 
who were they facing? You know, okay, your rookie quarterback looks great. Well, was he was he facing good players or was he facing arena league guys? Uh, but you certainly can take the red flags out of it. You could, you know, anything you see in that game that looks like, wow, that wasn't good, that has to make you worry. And so what you hope coming out of that game is very few, if any of those. You know, what you'd like coming out of that game is to feel like, well, everything looked pretty good. We'll find out over the course of the year if everything is good. Probably, you know, there's going to be weaknesses, but hopefully out of that one, nothing really jumps out. If you're trying to find things to watch for, for me, the first one is, does Brandon Ruiz have a pressure kick or mm-hmm. at least a distance kick? What's the sight line like for him? Does he seem comfortable? Does he seem nervous? Yeah. Um, because Zane bailed us out a lot the last couple he years did. of his career. And you know, I'm not I'm not seeing enough to make me think we're not going to need to be bailed out again. Um, and yeah. Then, and then obviously one of the things to watch for in these early games is what true freshmen play. You know, Graham's already yeah. come out and said that Eno Benjamin's going to play the running back. Uh, it mm-hmm. looks like Foreman's going to play on the line. And then it's a hodgepodge of guys in the secondary who they might use right. or might not use. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, some of them will have to be. Wouldn't surprise me if by the end of the season the majority of them are used um, because, you know, there's there's probably going to be some ups and downs with that group. Hopefully, hopefully some ups, probably some downs, hopefully some ups. Um, and, you know, I think we'll probably be doing some experimenting with that position group all year. Wouldn't surprise me if, you know, we got different guys out there in week five and then in week seven and then in week nine and on and on. But, yeah, I mean, I want to see what that group looks like, as you said, it won't be the toughest test by any means that, that the secondary faces. And, you know, it goes without saying, I want to I see what Manny Wilkins like. You know, we both of us expected Blake Barnett to be the starter. That's not going to be the case. Um, so I want to see, you know, it, like I told you last week, I hope that just a case where Manny's been so good, he's closed off any other possibilities. And, you know, I want to see if that's the case in week one at least. So we both have ASU starting 1-0. The question I want to ask, Matt, for every game, what is the longest play ASU's defense allows? Over or under 50 <laughs> yards? I'm going to say for this I'm game, hoping, under. I'm hoping under for that one, yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, uh, all it takes is one play, obviously, giving up more than one. and You know, I can, I can live with one a game. I honestly can. I mean, you know, we, we used to do that even in the good years with Todd Graham. We'd give up one a game. We just didn't give up five or six a game, and that's that's what's happened more the last two years. So the week two opponent, San Diego State Aztecs, we're at home. We have a long week before we have to play mm-hmm. them. I have this as a win still. Yeah, I do too, but with uh, caution. You know, I mean, I, I think you – you know, people will tend to look at this and say, ah, Mountain West team, it's at home. It's a pretty good team. You know, they, uh, I believe they won the Mountain West last year. Um, they did lose um, Danell Pumphrey, who was a, you know, big-time running back and, you know, I think an NCAA record-setting running back. Um, so they lose him, but they're still good. They still can run the ball. You know, they've, they've got a good program. Not a real explosive passing game, so you'd think, again, that should play into our hands a little bit. Um, but, it, you know, it will be much tougher than New Mexico State. I think, you know, hopefully people will not confuse those two and think, oh, they got two easy ones to open. No, nah, I don't think so. One easy one and then one that will be a much bigger challenge. This one, to me, feels a lot like, and we talked about this, just you and I, after we recorded our last one, mm-hmm. 
that this could be the one where if you look past them, you get beat like UNLV beat us. When oh, we without a doubt. And I mean, I think this team, you know, based on what they've done, is better than UNLV was. UNLV came in with the feeling of, you know, this team stinks and their program is in big trouble, and it was, and we got beat. You know, this is a good program. It's it's not, you know, I don't want to overrate them. I don't want to be Lou Holtz here and act like, you know, we're facing Alabama, but it's a solid program that's beat some pretty good teams and, you know, been one of the top Mountain West teams. And, uh, you know, it's it's one that certainly cannot be looked past and think, oh, yeah, we're, we're good. We're just going to roll out there with our Pac-12 talent and be fine. It, that won't be the case. So we both have this as a win. We both have ASU starting 2-0. and I think mm-hmm. this is a game where we give up a 50-yard play. <laughs> yeah, probably, probably. And it could be a run. You know, they they run the ball a lot. They, I mean, uh, they did lose Pumphrey, but they got Rashad Penny, who is a very good running back, too, kind of played in his shadow. Uh, so, they, you know, they'll be a test. We'll, you know, we're going we're gonna to face a lot of teams that can throw it well. We're going to face a few that are going to be very good running the ball, and this will be one. And another thing that um, these first two weeks, I think, will show us that I'm very curious about is we sort of took for granted on special teams that Zane could boom it out of the end zone and that Hawk was going to give us enough hang time that it'd be tough to run one back regardless of Mm -hmm. how deep the kick was. And especially as the defense gets better, and I think San Diego State's defense should be much better than New Mexico State's, we're going to be finding ourselves in these situations on the punting unit and I know Sleep Dalton got named to the Ray Guy watch list, but I also think that yeah. you might have been named to that watch list when you were in your first year at ASU and you weren't if on the team. If you're the starting punter for a, for a major conference team, you might get named to that watch list. I'm not sure that means anything. But I, I do think that's something to note, and I think that Sean Slocum's going to have his hands full because yeah. you know we're going to have everything's going to be a little different. Only Mitchell Froboni from the specialist is still there from last season. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, that, that will be... Uh, something that you know certainly could be vital as the year progresses. You, you do take it for granted, um, but we've we've watched ASU teams where that hasn't been reliable, and it's it's wrecked games and it's wrecked seasons. Uh, you know, 2010 is a season I always remember. We went, I believe, six and six. Um, we probably could have gone eight and four or nine and three with just a couple of decent special teams plays. You know, we we lost to US on a block extra point. We had a blocked extra point against Wisconsin, a one-point loss. I mean, you know, that just those two games right there, we execute routine plays, and we're 8-4 we're and four that year, and it's a whole different feel. So know from experience how important it is to have those groups be good. So week three, this is the test. This is where the rubber is going to meet the road for the secondary. <clears throat> ASU travels to Lubbock to take on Texas Tech. Texas Tech plays Eastern Washington on September 2nd, and then they are off for two weeks yeah yeah um, you know we they play houston on the road right after us but we are the we are the game of note uh in their home non-conference schedule i think compared right. to eastern washington yeah yeah i mean um you know and the, the team certainly played a very entertaining game last year um we came out on top of you know one of the highest scoring games all season i would imagine uh you know Balage what tied the ncaa record for touchdowns or something like that so uh, you know, you'd think it'll be a some kind of style. Texas Tech is a program at a crossroads, too. Um, very disappointing year last year. And there are people wondering if Cliff Kingsbury is the man for the job, much like we're wondering if Todd Graham is. So it'll be a big game for both programs to, you know, try to get a significant win early. 
One thing that I find interesting about this game is they say that tempo teams struggle on the road, and yeah. we barely hung on to beat now a Pat Mahomes-led Texas Tech team last season. Great. Right. But, but we struggled with their tempo even at Sun Devil Stadium. Oh, sure. I'm sure. very worried hey. about how it'll look. And I don't know if we will match that tempo with Billy Napier's offense. It seems like yeah. by taking Manny, you would think he wants an explosive mobile quarterback. But I have no idea if he's going to run a hurry up, try to snap it 80 plus times a game or not. Yeah, yeah, I don't know either. That that would be, um, you know, that's one of the many unknowns this year is how the offense will look and what they're going to do. You know what Texas Tech is going to do. Uh, you know, as long as Kingsbury's the coach, they're going to run the air raid. That's what he played. That's what he coaches. Uh, you know, they're going to they're going to throw it a lot. They're going to get the yards. They're going to get a lot of points. Um, it's it's going to be kind of a balancing act. It's going to be up to our offense to match them, and it's going to be up to our defense to get a few stops. And and you know, at the bottom line here, when I think about this game and others on the schedule, but this one right now got to play better on the road than what we did last year last year was pitiful on the road uh we barely beat utsa and got blown out every other game i believe we lost every road game by 19 or more points uh, in our other road games that is not going to get it done uh so that you know that is the biggest question about this game and then going forward with some games that i feel like are winnable is can this team take it take the, what they do well and do it well away from home because that didn't happen enough last year and really the year before too but last year was the worst yeah we're definitely giving up a 50 yard play this game <laughs> yeah i mean it, it, look they're they're a good offense you know i mean even in last year when they had a bad season they still put up big numbers offensively you know you're not going in there and, and holding them to 21 points um you know like i said it kind of comes back to can the offense keep up but then can the def- you know the defense has to get some stops. They don't have to shut them down, but they can't let them score, you know, every single possession. That's that's the snowball that can get rolling against a team like that on the road especially. Do the Sun Devils win on the road at Texas Tech? I'm going to say yes. Um, you know, again, I'm skeptical because of the road performances the last couple years and last year Especially, it was it was really bad. Uh, I mean, and defense was awful. And, and defense is what travels. Uh, you know, offense is tough, as you said. It's tough to keep up a, you know, up tempo offense on the road. You you know, your execution is a little bit different. Um, you got to have defense to to win on the road at all. I'm going to go with the fact that I don't think Texas Tech's very good, um, and that we'll be able to to score on them and. This is a swing game. I think this one and the next one are very big swing games for the year. Uh, they're winnable games, but they're also very much losable games. I'll say win it, um, but I say it with caution. This is one of those games I mentioned. It's a toss-up. So I have – this is one of those head versus heart, and I think – I'm going to say we win. But I, like you, yeah. am worried because if we don't win this one and the next week is the home, the home Pack 12 opener against Oregon, if mm-hmm. we don't start the year 4-0, I don't know how we get to bowl eligible. I feel exactly the same way, I mean, or, or at least to 7. Maybe we could get to 6, but I feel like 4-0 is, is almost a must to get to 7 wins. Um, definitely if you're going to start with about 8 or more. 
those first four, you got to have those in the win column. I've thought that for a couple months since looking at the schedule and still feel that way that, you know, the, the first one, I feel like I feel pretty good about the next three, they could go the other way, but we can't afford for them to go the other way. I mean, three and one isn't disastrous. Uh, two and two or worse is probably the makings for a long season. I mean, if we are worse than two and two, I think that even with the money left on the contract, you have to fire Graham and let Napier coach the team. Um, <laughs> I don't know if you, if they'll do that, but certainly they'll. You know, there will be a fan discussion of it. That, there's no doubt about that. If it's a if it's one and three or something like that, then then you're really you know staring down a big problem. You know, I'll, I'll go with a win, but you know, from here on, we're really talking about now. Uh, you know. My predictions in week might vary from what I am predicting now because if I see things in the first two weeks, it's very possible on the week of September 11th when we're talking that I might not feel as good about winning this game. Oh, yeah. I'm I'm not buying – neither of us are bound to these picks for the in-week picks. This is our snapshot from this moment, what we think is going to happen. Yeah, yeah. So – you know, so I, I've got to see some things from this team, but right now I'm going to say we'll we'll go we'll win it. A hesitant three and zero for both of us. ASU yeah. comes home September 23rd to play Oregon. The Ducks have had our number for yes, they have. Um, if, uh, if the last time we beat them, we were freshmen in college. So yeah, it's been a long, long time. Couple years where we didn't play them, but still, yeah. most of those years we've got beat, and most of those years we've got beat soundly, especially at home. Uh, some of our worst losses to them have come at home, and, and that's where this year's game is. So I think even with Taggart uh, taking over and the positive vibes and, you know, they love Prokop and they love, mm-hmm. they love themselves some offense in Eugene, I think that it's going to be early enough in the year where it's going to be hot enough that they're going to struggle. And I hope so. And, and that's, I, I laugh. I laugh only because I remember a game in 2006 where I was hoping that, and that is one of those losses I remember. They beat us 48-13 to 13 on the first weekend of October. Day game, brutally hot, and we were the ones who struggled. So that's why I laugh, but I hope you're right. Well, I mean, as I said, it, it occurred to me that you and I have had the conversation, how come it looks like we're the team traveling from cold weather <laughs> yeah. when we yeah, play? Yeah, yeah, I believe it was October 1st or September 30th. It was, it was right around end of September, early October. And they weren't the dominant Oregon team that was, you know, ahead. But they, you know, they had Dennis Dixon. Um, and it felt like, you know, it's a day game, ABC. We should, you know. And they ran rough shot over us. The only touchdown we got was a kick return late in the game um, when they were already up by 40-some points. Uh, so that's the only reason I, I hesitate on that. But this team isn't that team. They don't have Dennis Dixon. They don't have, uh, you know, some of the stars that were to come on that team. So, you know, they're, they're not that. But, yeah, I'm, I'm hoping you're right. Uh, but I've been burned on that feeling before. So I, I am a hesitant 4-0. Yeah, me too. But but it gets a little dicey here here on out. It does. Oh, yeah, without a doubt. I mean, I, I, I completely agree with what you said a few minutes ago. That To me, I feel like 4-0, I don't want to say it's a must, but – but it feels like a must, uh, you know, it feels like if this season's going to be seven plus wins four and oh, it's necessary. And, and three and one definitely is. And I'm, I'm going to say we win this. I'm going to say we finally exercise our, 
Oregon Demons. We should have beat them two years ago here. Uh, we had them on the ropes multiple times late in that game and couldn't finish it. Um, I, I'm going to say, you know, Graham has, has beaten every Pac-12 team at least once except Oregon. I'm going to give him that he finally gets it done this year. Yeah, I'm with you. I, I have us 4-0, you have us 4-0, and then this is the run of death. Um, yeah, this is where I fear last year's uh, pattern is going to be brought up a lot over the next five weeks. So we'll go through game by game, but let me run through this. Se- September 30th at Stanford, a bye. October 14th, home to Washington. October 21st at Utah. October 28th, home to USC. That's yep. not good. And then it's, it's home, rough. And then home to Colorado, November 4th, which, yeah. you know, my Heisman dark horse is the quarterback at Colorado. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they won the Pac-12 South last year. You know, I think it's, it's easy to look at that and, and say, you know, oh, Colorado, that's not the same. Well, yeah, it feels that way. But, yeah, I mean, I think the four-game stretch is really tough. But certainly, you know, game five in that stretch. And then you, then you got after that, you got road trips to UCLA and Oregon State. So, you, again, you go back to that road struggles. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's tough. And if what I think happens, you know, what I think is going to happen happens, again, you're going to hear a lot about, well, you know, you started 5-1 and one last year, and uh, are you headed for the same trouble this year? Because I think there's gonna, a losing streak coming after that 4-0 start. So we play at Stanford. Shaw has, you know, beaten us like we stole something uh, yeah, pretty yeah. consistently. And I yeah. don't think this year is going to be any different, regardless well, of the I mean, quarterback controversy that Stanford might be having at that yeah, moment. Yeah, and and they may not have one from you know from what I read a couple weeks ago. Chris is cleared and ready to go, and he's going to start to begin the year, which they they open play here in three days. Um, you know, so we'll we'll see, get an early look at them compared to most of the schools in the country. But um, you know, he's the guy to start. What we know about Stanford is they do the little things well. You know, it's it's kind of stereotypical, you know, grind it out. But they do. You know, they they uh, they run the ball well. They play good defense. Not the greatest home field advantage. I mean, they don't sell out most of their games. Um, and yet I would still say this one is one where if it was at home, I'd feel like we could pull it off. But given that our road performances have been so bad, uh, you know, it's just hard for me to feel confident about too many road games. And it's one I don't feel very confident about. I'm with you. You know, it's it feels to me like how we talk about USC's home field is good because they were good, right. not because. Right. I mean, Stanford's crowd might not be great, but that doesn't matter because their football team is good. They're good. <laughs> and yeah, exactly. Yeah. They win a lot of road games, too, because they're a good team. Uh, you know, it, it's it's not the most intimidating place to play. You know, you talk Pac-12 spots. It's certainly not Oregon. Uh, it's not Utah. You know, some of the, it's not Washington. Some of the most difficult places to go. Um, but it, you know, they are good. Um, they have had our number for the most part. Did beat them uh, what three years ago uh, when they came here with Hogan? That was a down year for them. Uh, one of their worst years, really. You know, since Harbaugh took over uh, 2014, and we beat them then. But besides that, they have had our number and. Um, I feel like that will probably continue with this year's game. I agree. Um, but then we get a bye. We get to lick our wounds at 4-1. Yeah. and one. Um, Yeah. And, and our reward for that is we get to face one of the top quarterbacks and last year's Pac-12 representative to the college football playoff, the Washington right. Huskies. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, uh, again, I, I've, I think we've talked about this. I know I've thought it 
you know, if this four-game stretch, if you reverse the sights, I'd feel better about it. Because I don't think we can beat Washington or USC regardless of where the game is played. I think potentially we could beat Stanford and Utah at home, but on the road, I don't feel great about it. I'd almost rather go to Washington and USC as a fan. Now, as, as someone who's going to attend the games, I'm glad Washington and USC are coming because they're two good teams. It'll be fun to see them in person. But as somebody who wants ASU to win as much as possible, I'd almost rather sacrifice those as road games and just take the losses and move on. Yeah, I, I'm not confident that our secondary is going to have the answers for Browning. And No, <laughs> no, nor am I. You know, and it, Washington's defense is likely to take a step back given the, you know, the personnel they lost. Um, but I'm not sure that much step back, and I think their offense will be really good. And you know, they're a preseason top ten, top fifteen team. Uh, you know, by then, obviously, we'll know more about them, more about us. Uh, but just looking at what I expect from them, I don't think we can win this one. Yeah, uh, I'm with you. So that's a loss. Stanford's a loss. We're four and two, and mm-hmm. then we get to travel to Rice Eccles Stadium. And, yep. and Utah in the altitude. We've played Utah tough uh, on the road. We've we have. we've squeaked out some wins. We've consistently been a tough out for them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, even two years ago when they were riding high, at that point, I believe they were they were still undefeated. Uh, you know, and we we had the lead in the fourth quarter. Um, couldn't finish the game, you know, which was a common pattern of 2015. We had chances to win several of those games. Couldn't do it. That was one. Just a tough place to play. We have played well there. We beat them a couple times since joining the conference, but um, it's a tough place to go win, and they're much like Stanford. They, you know, they don't wow you. They don't come out and, and throw it, you know, 60 times and put a bunch of points up, but they do the little things well. They play good defense. They run the ball well. Uh, and that's tough to beat on the road especially. So I got this one as a loss as well. The thing about Utah that mirrors Stanford is they don't beat themselves. You're going to have to take the game from them. Right, right. And at this point, I'm not sure we can do that. I'm just not. No, I'm not sure either, especially on the road. Again, I come back to that. It's a common theme I'm bringing up over and over, but given what I saw last year, and it's just hard for me to be overly confident this team can beat good teams on the road because last week we didn't beat even bad teams on the road. And ex- Exhibit A was Arizona, uh, which was two and nine, and and we got run over by them. Uh, so, you know, I I just can't feel overly confident about our ability to beat a top twenty-five team at their place uh, when we haven't done that in a couple years. I will say this: if we're gonna steal one, if we're gonna steal one on the road. And I don't consider Oregon State stealing one. Yeah. This is the one. Because I, I, I don't like our, you know, I, I'm not super confident about the UCLA game. I don't think we'll beat Stanford. Yeah. But we, you know, just yeah, because we've, we'll his, we've historically yeah. played yeah. them tough. That's I'm 100% based on that. We have. You're right. You're right. I mean, we had them, we had them down uh, last year, you know, in the game here on Thursday night. We got out to a great start. Had him down, and then our defense reared its ugly head and couldn't get stops, and our offense stopped scoring, and we ended up getting beat pretty soundly. But uh, you know, we have played them well for you know long stretch there. You know, the first few years in the conference, we never lost to them. Going back to non-conference play, well, that's been punctured the last two years. Um, so I'm gonna, I'm just not confident. But I agree. I mean, it's it's a, it's not a game I look at and say there's no chance, but I just don't feel great about it. 
If Ruiz is going to attempt a 60-plus yard field goal this year, I think that's where it is. Probably, probably, yeah. No trip to Colorado this year, Zane got. So, yeah, you're probably right. So, ASU going to try to salvage the month of October at home against USC. Yeah, don't feel like they will. Um, <laughs> as you know, I picked USC to go to the national championship game and win the Pac-12, so it's hard for me to say that they could lose a Pac-12 game and still do all that. Um, but I don't think the game lose, if they lose one, will be this one. Uh, you know, they, uh, they've had our number for the most part. Uh, we, you know, we won three out of four for a stretch there during their down years, but their down years appear to be over. Uh, and, and they've got, uh, to me, one of the best quarterbacks in the country, great running back, good receivers, some great defensive players, a couple of first, you know, I think, uh, first or second team preseason, all Americans to me, they're the class of the conference and we aren't. I'm glad I'm not going to be at the game. Because I hate the first down fight song, and and I feel I like I feel I like you're gonna hear I a have lot to of say, it. You probably will, and I and even though I will hate it as someone rooting for ASU, I do love a fight on, and and I will enjoy listening to it as much as I can. All right, so we start the year four zero, then we drop four straight. Yes. Steven Montez, all of a sudden, is leading the Heisman balloting in the ESPN straw polls <laughs> at the end of October. And he's coming okay, to well. Sun Devil Stadium. To, <laughs> I think we can win this game. This is a game I think I do we too. can win. Yeah, now I will tell you, if that prediction comes true, I might not feel as good about it. If Colorado is playing really well and Steven Montez is uh, you know, doing what you forecasted he might do, then then I'm not going to say that. But, uh, yeah, I, I have this as a much-needed win. It's at home. Again, I think it's uh, – I think Colorado's in that second tier of teams with Stanford, with Utah, uh, where, to me, home field is going to be a difference maker. And I think we can get that one and, and hopefully, you know, use that week to get the monkey off our back of, oh, my God, the bottom's falling out on us just like it did last year. Much like how you said that San Diego State game and then the Oregon, the, the San Diego State through Oregon yeah. run is pivotal. This game to me feels pivotal. Because, I agree. I because agree. Because if we, if we don't beat Colorado, I don't think there's a chance we can beat UCLA. If we're four and four going into that Colorado game and we fall to four and five. Yeah. The, the, and again, <laughs> you start to have that, man, you did the same thing last year. You got off to a hot start and couldn't win a game after that. And, and you're going to hear that already, but that, that's a game where it feels like you will need that one to kind of, you know, wash away that feeling and say, okay, we, we can still salvage something out of this year. Yeah, I mean, at this point, I feel like this game this dictates the season. If they win this game, they could win seven. Yeah, yeah. And if they lose this I game, agree. they could lose eight. Yeah, they could. I, I, I would agree with you. So I'm going to say it's a win, but it's another one that I don't say – uh, overly confidently, I'm not. I'm certainly not sitting here saying, "Oh yeah, Colorado at home," like we have in the past, where we've done. Well, that's a that's a game that should be a layup for us. It's not that anymore. But I still think we can get that one. All right. Well, then they travel to the Rose Bowl. Josh mm-hmm. Rosen, or if he's hurt, whoever their new backup is. Um, yeah. I, I know that Graham dislikes Mora, no matter what they say, and Mora dislikes Graham. Yeah. I feel like UCLA is going to snag this one. 
yeah, just okay. because it's a difficult game. So I'm I'm putting that as a loss. I'm having us at five and five going into the final All two right. games. Well, that's the first time that we're going to vary. I've got us winning that one. Um, we've had success against UCLA. There's just something, you know, as much as we talk about some teams that have had our number, Oregon and Stanford and USC, too many of them for my liking, but there have been some. UCLA hasn't been one. Uh, we beat them up there two years ago. It was our only road win of the season, I believe. Uh, we beat them here last year. It was our best performance of the year. Certainly defensively it was. Uh, there's just something that's, that's you know, been – it's kind of like a, you know, a golf hole that just fits your eye. UCLA seems to fit our eye lately. So I'm going to give that one. All right. So you have us bowl eligible. By, I do. By Veterans Day. Yeah, I think yeah, I, so. I honestly don't remember when Veterans Day is supposed to be, but uh, I, it's I believe around. it's that day, November eleventh, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. That's what, yeah. So by Veterans Day, so. bowl eligible, I, which would be I, nice. Uh, you know, I like Rosen. It's it's not a it's not a being down on him at all type of thing. Um, I just feel like that's one we can steal. Yeah. So then, I'm still looking for a win, but I think we can get it in Corvallis because I don't yeah. like Oregon State. <laughs> <laughs> well. Uh, again, we're going to vary. I think we lose that game. Corvallis has been uh, a house of horrors for us over the years. Um, you can go back no further than 2014 when we went there after the Notre Dame game. We were in the top 10. We were in control of our own destiny to win the Pac-12 and potentially get into the playoff, and they beat us. And And there have been some other ugly performances there. Um, I believe the last time we won in the state of Oregon was 2004, 2005. So it's been a long time since we've won at either place. Um, and I just don't feel good about that one. Weather could be an issue. I think they'll be slightly better than they've been. I've got that one as a loss. Well, I mean, I guess for me, it's, I don't really think highly of Gary Anderson. I think he has failed up, uh, (laughs) And then bailed out of Wisconsin at just the right time when they were going to fire him yeah. to get Chris anyway. Yeah. Um, and I just, you know, I, I agree that Corvallis is a hard place to play. I, and I, especially weather-wise, not necessarily opponent or fan base-wise, but certainly weather-wise, Corvallis is a tough place to play. Right. But I just feel like we are going to get this one. Um, I, you know, they're sw- they're breaking in a new quarterback this year, uh, junior college, all American who transferred there McMarion, who started six right. games last season, just announced he's transferring to Fresno State. Oh, did he? I didn't even know that. Yeah. Wow, I didn't hear that. So I knew they had named, uh, Luton the starter. Yeah. Luton's the starter. McMarion announced today that he, or, uh, I guess earlier this week that he's leaving. And then today he announced he's okay. going to Fresno State. So, okay. it, so it does leave them in a bit of a lurch, which if Blake Barnett announced he was leaving, I, I would feel about us. Yeah. Although, yeah. at this point, Brady White apparently is healthy, which I don't believe, but that's what we're being told. So. <laughs> I, don't, I don't believe that either, but yeah, yeah. Um, so I think we get this one. So we both, okay. we both get there, but different ways, and we're 6-5 yeah. and five going into the Arizona game. Yeah, yeah. It's Thanksgiving Saturday. So for those of you who, you know, are not allowed to talk to your family members between Thanksgiving and the end of the ASU U of A game, which is me, <laughs> uh, there's a whole day of silence built right into the middle of that weekend. That's um, right. But the, the Wildcats are coming to Sun Devil Stadium 
ASU with a chance to avenge a loss in which the other team did not uh, pass in the second half, and we still yeah. couldn't beat them. I mean, we could have literally ran the goal line defense off of NCAA football yeah. or Madden, and <laughs> you know it wouldn't have mattered. But yeah, but we didn't. Yeah. And you know, I, well, I've uh, yeah, I mean, I've I've said it many times over the last uh, what nine months or so. One of the most uh, embarrassing, heartless, gutless performances that I've ever seen uh, from ASU, certainly, and, and really just in general. Um, it was just ridiculous. So you've got to hope there's some pride there. You know, I read, I read the story about DJ Calhoun, you know, saying I'm not going out like that against Arizona. Well, I hope he and a lot of other people feel that way. And regardless of where the season's at, you'd hope that there's a, a pride to show up better than that. Yeah, I think we will win. I think that the crowd won't let them collapse the way that yeah. they did last season. Yeah. And that gets us to 7-5, and five, which I think is probably good enough to save Todd Graham's job. We'll go to the Vegas Bowl or something. It probably is, yeah. I, I have the same. And, you know, I've, I've felt through the offseason, felt like 7-5 and five was kind of that middle ground where I'm not sure which way it would go. The more I hear, the more I, you know, see, I, I like seven and five probably will be enough to keep him six and six might be that middle ground. Um, you know, Michael Crow pretty much put it out there that repeated losing seasons are not acceptable. So to me, anything worse than six and six and you've set the tone that you've got to get rid of him based, you know, based on what you're saying, you're saying back to back losing seasons is not acceptable. Well, we had one last year. Um, technically we had one in 2015 too with the bowl game loss, but six and six, whatever. Uh, so yeah, I feel like that's the swing seven and five probably brings him back for another year. I'll say this as an ASU alum, a proud ASU alum. I'm surprised that Michael Crow did that. I, I, I am too. And, and I don't mean I really that in a bad too. way. I just honestly didn't think he cared about the athletic program. I didn't either. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, when we were going to school here, it had the feel that Michael Crow would have been very happy if there was no athletic program um, that, you know, he came from a, uh, you know, an Ivy league, I believe school or, or certainly from places that athletics were not overly besized. Uh, and you just had the feel he viewed athletics as a necessary evil. And that has seemingly changed. You know, we're not, I'm not around it on a day-to-day basis anymore. And obviously you're not either. Um, so we're only getting secondhand and you know, it's filtered through the news media and, Sometimes that can be misleading, um, but it does seem like it's changed to where he feels like athletics are much more important and, and more emphasis and more money has gone into it. And uh, it's been a surprising transformation. I, I was just going to say it, it's felt different. You know, they added the student uh, activities fee. They've yeah. made a real push to upgrade all the facilities. You know, he certainly reacted quickly uh to patterson leaving to go to texas right and the changes that have followed from that by the way i looked it up and he was the former executive vice provost of columbia university so good job i thought it was columbia i thought so i was gonna say that and i wasn't totally sure but i thought it was ivy league you know and uh, so they had sports obviously but it's not like it is at a pac-12 school where you know sports carry a lot of the day um so yeah, it, it just it's been a transformation for him from our days there and from my days working there, uh, where it really didn't feel like the president cared all that much about athletics. 
Um, that doesn't seem to be the case anymore. And I do think that part of this is he senses that it's how you can draw people. It's a, one, it's it a way to change the reputation of the school from being a party school yeah. to an athletic school, which to him is probably an upgrade because I don't know that ASU right. will ever get to be an academic school. No, yeah, yeah. I mean, I know he wants it to be, but it's not. Yeah, he and Mark Jacobs should have written a much longer paper about <laughs> the new American University. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, I mean that just ain't gonna happen. But, but yeah, no doubt. I mean, you know, you you know, I think you know data backs that up. When a team you know wins a national championship or whatever, you know, they get to the playoffs, they play the Rose Bowl. You know, more people apply. They you know they they see that school and and they think you know ah, I'd like to go there. I mean. I didn't apply to those places, but when I was looking at schools, my I got letters from Miami, and I remember thinking, God, it'd be kind of cool to go to Miami, you know, Miami football. I didn't really pursue it, but I even had that feeling of like, yeah, it'd be kind of fun. And a lot of kids, I'm sure, do that. So, yeah, I mean, athletics is a way to to draw people to your school and then show them the rest. You know, that's the front door, and then you can show off the other stuff. Yeah, and for people like you and me, you don't need other stuff. Right, right. You know, I mean, yeah, I yeah, athletics matter a lot to me and, and not alone. I mean, you know, that's that's a big thing for a lot of very, you know, powerful alums is how the how the athletic programs are. And I mean, we're we're down the list of schools where that matter, you know, talk to Ohio State alums or Texas alums or, you know, places like that. It's everything. Um, ASU is not quite like that, but it's still like that. Uh, you know, it, it does matter. And yeah, he's put more emphasis on that. So I was surprised he said it too, but certainly based on that, there cannot, I mean, he didn't give himself any wiggle room really to say, you know, if he goes five and seven, okay, we're going to hang on to him. No, I don't think that's going to be enough. No, certainly not. And, he, and he's boxed Ray Anderson in, but perhaps that was yes. the goal was to, I mean, now, he Ray bought Anderson Ray Anderson. may have wanted that. Yeah. 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 I mean, uh, you know, Ray Anderson apparently made the call not to, give him the automatic uh, one-year extension or what was thought to be automatic. Um, you know, so I, I think, I mean, Ray Anderson, I, I listened to the most recent podcast, I believe, between Metcalf and Haller and said that Ray Anderson has hired something like 19 coaches in 25 programs, whatever it is. So the large majority of the coaches at ASU have been hired by Ray Anderson, and Todd Graham isn't one of them. And so – that always increases the pressure when a coach is struggling that this guy didn't hire you and he may look to bring in his own guy. Yeah. Yeah. That is going to do it for us today. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope that you throw this back in our faces when things don't go quite according to plan. <laughs> because Hopefully we'll be right through at least one week. Yeah. That's all I'm worried about at this point. I'll, I'll tell you this right now. We're going to come back later on uh, before the game on Thursday, and we're going to do our preview. I'm going to commit to sticking with my win. I picked a yes. win this week. I'm going to stick with that win. Yes, yes, I will too. <laughs> Until then, he's Matt. I'm Ben. Congrats again, Pat. Greg, I'll see you on Thursday. And uh, everybody else, have a good week. We're out.